Pride and Prejudice is our theme tonight from the 10th chapter of Acts. Hudson Armiding is the president of Wheaton College. Um, Wheaton College is a small liberal arts school, a religious school. I believe, I think I'm correct when I say that that's Billy Graham's uh, alma mater, Wheaton College. A few years ago, um, they confronted a very difficult crisis in Wheaton College that was the result of a man's prejudice or some people's prejudice. It seems that there were some uh, students in college in, the, in Wheaton that had long hair and long beards. And some of the main supporters of the university decided that if those people were going to be in college, that they were going to uh, withhold their funds. They were the main contributors, the support of Wheaton College, the main pillars. Some of them quit giving to their, quit supporting the university, and some were threatening it. And so they were facing bankruptcy and perhaps insolvency. And Hudson Armadine called for chapel meeting, and everybody was there. You could just sense the tension of that day. In fact, you could cut the atmosphere with a knife. And Dr. Armadine stood to tell the problem. He, oh, he just gave a review of it, just a preview of what was happening. Everybody already knew about it, however. And his eyes scanned the audience, and he saw one of these young men sitting out there. He had hair down to his shoulders and a long beard. He knew his name because this great president knew the students by, on first-name basis. He called him up to the platform. Of course, the young man was reluctant, but he insisted, come up here, and he called his name, and he stood up at the platform. And the president of Wheaton College said, you represent everything that these people that support our university stand against. You stand for everything they stand against. You are the embodiment, the epitome of that which appalls these people who are the leaders of our university. And then he paused for a long moment and said, but I want you to know, young man, that that is not the feeling of this administration. We accept you just like you are. We believe that you've come here to seek the truth as it is revealed in Jesus Christ, and we accept you just as you are. And he reached out his arms, and he pulled this young man to, his, to himself, and he embraced him. And there was a stunned silence there in that uh, great auditorium. And finally, everybody in the, in the group, all of the students, stood silently to their feet and began to applaud. Now, some of you are thinking tonight, that was a mistake. That president has to stand for some things and there's no place in a Christian institution for that kind of rebellion. And some of you are thinking as you applaud him secretly or silently in your mind and heart, that was a great thing for that man to do. And it shows great courage and great grace. And all of us are thinking, I'm glad I wasn't in his shoes. For we, are all, harbor, we all harbor prejudice in some form in our hearts. It's just this or that, but all of us have prejudice. We don't know why it's there, but it's just there in the back of our mind. It's back there. It's kind of the way we were raised. We don't know why we believe what we believe, but we can't help it. It's just there. When you hear somebody with a certain accent, it just 
makes you turn red. When you hear the name of a country of certain students out at Southeastern, you just kind of secretly boil. Or when you see a person of a different color, it bothers you, maybe just a little bit. There's some prejudice against the wealthy. Why, a man who's wealthy couldn't, you know, something's got to be going on there. He's gotten that dishonestly. Some of you are prejudiced against the establishment. Some of you are prejudiced against short hair. And some are prejudiced against wearing cosmetics or the absence of cosmetics. We have all kinds of prejudice. Some of us are prejudiced against professional evangelists. Now, I think it's time right now, I might at, the, at this point, it just kind of popped into my mind to say something about our, spring, our summer revival and this evangelist we have coming. Some of us are prejudiced against that, against him. I'm going to have to confess to you, I have some prejudice against professional evangelists. I thought a long time ago, I'll never have one of those guys preach a revival in my church. There's just something about their brashness, about their, their, uh, their uh, uh, lack of, um, their kind of their crudeness. Uh, they're they're uh, requesting for money all the time. Uh, I, I'm not a revivalist to begin with, and so I've always had some kind of a prejudice against revival preachers. And about a year ago, I began to feel in my heart this man that I've invited to come preach uh, for our summer revival. I began to feel in my heart that that was the right thing for us. I'm going to have to tell you, I had to humble myself just a little bit. I had to come before God just a little bit and say, Now, Lord, are you sure that's what we need in our church? But, you know, I see God breaking down a lot of barriers in First Baptist Church of Durant. I see Him breaking down a lot of barriers in our hearts and minds, and that just may be another one of them. And God might just be saying to us, Are you willing to let me work even through one of these brash evangelists who always ask for money? If you're willing to let me operate on that basis and you take down those barriers that you have and those prejudices you have toward people like that, you just humble yourself and admit that I can use anything, anywhere, anytime, and I'll begin to demonstrate in your presence some things that you're desiring to see. And that's what we're going to see in our text tonight. Some walls come tumbling down. And a man's prejudice began to fade away in the clear knowledge of God's love and grace. Now you follow in your outline the brief orientation, the introduction. Chronologically the time. It took place six years after the crucifixion. You know, sometime I think when we read through the Scripture chronologically, we just think these things are happening one, you know, in one week's time. Six years after the crucifixion, this event took place. Geographically, the place, there are two places mentioned in this uh, scripture passage. One of them is in verse 43 of chapter 9. The other is in chapter 10, verse 1. And the places are Joppa and Caesarea. And they're two little cities in Palestine located along the coast of the Mediterranean. And they're just about a day's journey from each other. It just took about a day to travel from Caesarea down to Joppa by, you know, by land, just walking. On the Sea of Galilee, it took less time than that. Theologically, the issue. Now watch this, because this is at the heart of everything I want to deal with tonight. When God chose the Jews to be His people, He chose them not because they were wealthy or powerful or rich, 
He did not choose the Jews as his chosen people because they were mighty and, and strong and, and super. As a matter of fact, he chose the Jews to demonstrate his grace. And the idea of grace is unmerited favor. It's that which is not deserved. And so when God chose the Jews as His special people, He did so out of grace to demonstrate His grace. They certainly did not, were not worthy of that choice. But He wanted to demonstrate to every nation that what He could do with the Jews, He could do with them. But somehow a big lie began to develop. Because the Jew felt that he was chosen, that put him just a cut above everybody else. The Jew felt a cut above the Gentile, and so he was always looking over his glasses and down his nose at the Gentile. When a Jew and a Gentile brushed together in the marketplace, the Jew couldn't wait to get home so he could wash off the dirt of the Gentile. When the Jewish midwife saw a Gentile woman laboring to give birth to a child, even if it was a life-threatening situation, that Gentile midwife would not assist lest she bring another dog, another Gentile dog into the world. That, was the, that is the issue. This deep-seated prejudice that went all the way through to the time of Simon Peter and, Carne and Cornelius. Now watch this. The Gentile named Cornelius, the man. Begin reading with me at verse 1. Now there was a certain man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. If you'll substitute the word battalion for the word cohort, you've got it. A devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. Now here's this Gentile. He's the, he is the head of an Italian battalion in, in, in Caesarea, right out of Rome itself. And he's a Gentile. That means he's a polytheist. He believes in many gods, or his people believe in many gods. And here was this Gentile who was a battle-scarred uh, military strategist who had tremendous respect in all the nations and especially in that country a battle-scarred military strategist, strategist a, a Gentile. And he was, first, he was devout. He was a God-fearing man. And secondly, he prayed and gave alms to the Jews. Now, this is a, an amazing uh, portrait of a man. A Gentile whose, whose people believe in, in many gods, and he's a monotheist. He believes in one God. And he's a devout man, and he prays every day, and he gives alms to the Jews. You know what? Um, he might be better, uh, he might be more religious than half the folks who make up half the churches. I mean, he's, a, he's, he's right up front, a God-fearing man. Look at the vision, verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come into him and said to him, Cornelius, I mean, pause to say, it doesn't matter what you think of others. God knows them by name. Now, you may have all kinds of prejudice about all kinds of people. I mean, you might have concepts of people right out here within rock's throw at, the, at Southeastern's campus. Well, let me tell you, 
They are so important to God. He knows them by first name. And so this angel came to Cornelius. Now here's, here's Simon Peter, a man known by the Jews, and Cornelius, and he knows him by name and calls him by name. Now look at verse 4. And fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, sir? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now, a few years ago, um, my brother Bailey Smith got in his tremendous flap, you know. It just got him in hot water. The, the, the fellow, uh, you know, I hurt for him when all that happened. And he made this statement down at, uh, at some great meeting in Dallas that God does not hear the prayers of the Jews because God doesn't hear an unbeliever's prayer. And, and, the, and some folk who got, on, who got on that bandwagon and got after him used this to say, you're wrong, Bailey Smith. Because here was a Gentile, a man who had never heard of Jesus Christ, and his prayers and alms ascended before God as a memorial. Now, it's, it sets up in my mind a couple of things that I think are true. Number one is this, that every man has some light. John says that Christ lights every man who comes into the world. Every man has some light. He has some light with regard to creation, and, and, and he has some light with regard to, to, to how he's created and his inner need for God. Every man has some light. Second proposition, light obeyed increases light. When a man responds to the light he has, when a man obeys God with a, with a, with a knowledge he has, when a man responds to the light he has, God gives more light. And here was Cornelius. All he knew was to pray to the one God, the God of the Jews, but being devout and, and religious and obedient to the light he had, then God sent more light. He sent someone with the knowledge, with the word of Christ. And that's where Peter comes in. Look at the man, verse 9. And on the next day as they were on their way and approaching the city, that is, he sent some men to go there and, 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 uh, and find Peter to come and tell me about Jesus. Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. It was noontime. And he too is a man of prayer. And he too is a devout man. The devout Jew prayed at morning, noon, and evening. Now, some people will say that prejudice is the result of a man's heart not being right with God. Not all the time. Because Peter's heart was right with God. And he was a devout man also. Now, see this picture. On the one end is a devout Gentile who is responding to the light he has. The only God he knows is the God of the Jews, the, the one God. On the other end is this man who has who has walked with Christ and has known Him, was eyewitness to the crucifixion and the resurrection. And when that happens, when there are two men like that, God's going to bring them together. I believe this. I believe there's someone somewhere tonight out in this city of Durant. There is a somebody praying with all the knowledge he has, with all the light he has. A devout man a man who fears God, 
but doesn't know the plan, doesn't know the way of salvation. I believe there's a man like that somewhere in this city tonight. And I believe that there's somebody in this audience tonight that should you begin praying tomorrow at noon, God would put you together before night. Last Monday night, we went out on our visitation. We all came back to share. One of, a couple of our guys came in. I believe it was Dennis and Dr. Bob. They came in excited. They said, God gave us a divine appointment tonight. A divine appointment. Somewhere there, were, there was a, a man, his wife. Uh, my team went by there three times last semester. Couldn't get in the door. But this couple in great need were praying for somebody to come and help them. And Bob and, and, and Dennis knocked on their door. And Lee tells me that, that they were out in the, in the halls of Southeastern. They were trying to see some people, couldn't find them. As they walked down the hall, they just brushed past one of, the seminar, one of the college students. One of their team members knew this person, spoke to him, followed him into the room. Two people in that room accepted Christ as their Savior. I believe that somewhere tonight there are people just like Cornelius. They have, no, they have a, some knowledge. They have some religious inclinations and they're praying to God whether that prayer is verbal or not in their mind they're asking for help and there's somebody here tonight who if would go on the housetop before the Lord God would put you together before tomorrow night's over now look at this vision that Peter saw verse 10 now somebody says that's a, that wasn't a vision it was a nightmare I mean it just got down where he was where we are watch this and he became hungry, and some of us are that already. And he became hunger, hungry, and he desired to eat. While they were make, making preparation, he fell into a trance. And he beheld the sky opened up, and a certain object, like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. I want you to listen to the voice of legalism. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. The voice of legalism, not so, Lord, not by no means. That's like a PFC saying to a general, um, Not on your life, sir, they just don't go together. You know, By no means, Lord, those, those two... Those two words just don't go together. No, Lord, they just don't fit unless he's not Lord. You've heard Graham Scroggie's story. He was preaching a tent revival in London. After the service, as people started leaving, one of the ladies came past by him, and she, with a kind of a lock, her set jaw, she said, you know... The Lord wanted me to be a missionary, but I've got a life to live. I've got things to do. I'm not going to be a missionary. He said, come with me, dear lady. They went back to the back part of the tent. He let the crowds leave. He opened up this passage right here. and He took that verse, Not so, Lord. And he took a pencil out of his pocket and a piece of paper, and he wrote the words, Not so, Lord, on that paper. And he said, young lady, if Jesus is Lord, there are no not-sos in your life. And if there are not-sos in your life, then Jesus is not Lord. And he just left her alone with God. He finished seeing the people leave. And in a moment, he 
went back toward where she was, and, and she had slipped away out into the night. He went over and saw and picked up the paper that she had left, and he saw some tears had stained it just a little bit, and she'd taken a pencil and scratched out the words, not so, and left the latter word, the sign of her commitment, Lord. The Lord says, I want you to take this man in and love him. Not so, Lord. The Lord said, I want you to get behind this evangelist that's coming. Lord, I just don't like him. He just doesn't strike me right. The Lord said, I want you to take these foreign students into your home and care for them and love them while they're here and lead them to knowledge of Jesus Christ that they might go back to their community. And we say, not so, Lord. God said, I want you to pray for that man who is appallingly uh, repulsive. And you say, not so, Lord. There are no not so's if he's Lord. Now watch this conclusion. And again a voice came to him the second time, what God hath cleansed no longer consider unholy. And this happened three times um, does that sound familiar? Uh, you, you remember that, uh, wasn't, it, wasn't it Simon Peter who denied his Lord three times? And, and wasn't it the same, this same man who on the, on the lake shore that morning, Jesus said, ask him three times, do you love me? And then three times he gave him the command, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. Does that sound familiar? This happened three times. Peter, take this and eat it. There's no such thing as unclean that I've cleansed. Now notice he didn't say, don't say that it's unclean. He said, don't make it unclean, what I've cleansed. And Peter, verse 17, it says, still disturbed about it. Sometime I want you to look at Alexander Weiss' writings if you ever find any of them. He wrote generations and generations ago, but he's right up front tonight. Listen to what he says. I want you to hear this. All mankind except Peter and a few of his friends were bound up together in one abominable bundle. And Peter was standing above them, scowling and spitting on them all, just like us. For how we also bundle up whole nations of men and throw them into the same unclean sheet. Whole churches that we know nothing about, but their bad names that we have given them, are all in our sheet of excommunication also. All of the denominations of Christians in our land are common and unclean to us. Every party outside our party in the political arena is unclean. We have no language contemptuous enough wherewith to describe their wicked ways and their self-seeking schemes, their four-footed beasts and creeping things. Indeed, there are very few men alive, and especially those who live near us, who are not sometimes in, in, in our sheet of scorn unless there's one here and there in our own family or school or party. They also come unto our scorn and our contempt the moment they have a mind of their own, interest of their own, affections and ambitions of their own. If you question that, 
Think of the person your child wants to marry. You wrestle with that one. It would change your whole, lo- whole heart and life. Now, now, would you do this? It would change your whole heart and life this very night if you would take Peter and Cornelius home and lay them both to heart. It would be a memorial about you before God if you would but do this. Take a four-cornered napkin when you go home and write the names of the nations, the churches, the denominations, the congregations, the ministers, the public men, the private citizens, the neighbors, and the fellow worshipers, all the people you dislike and despise and do not and cannot and will not love. Heap all their names into your unclean napkin and look up and say, Not so, Lord, I can neither speak well nor think well nor hope well of these people. I cannot do it and I will not try. If you acted out and spoke out all the evil things that are in your heart in some way, such as that, you would get such a sight of yourself, you would never forget it. And so God said to Peter, Hey, look, I'm altering my arrangement. Now you take these people in. If you'll just glance down sometime, I believe it's at verse 28. And Peter said to him, You know how we never Jews, never have Gentiles in lodging. But he took them in. He took them in. Now there is a Gentile and Jewish encounter verses 17 and following. And God said to Peter, Let there be no misgivings about this. I've sent them here myself. I've sent them here myself. Isn't it amazing how God can always put His finger right on the point where we have our biggest problem. I sent them here myself. And Peter took them in and gave them lodging. I see three applications, and it's time to quit, and I want to give you these quickly, and I'm through. Number one, the root of prejudice, the root of prejudice is pride. And James 2.9 says it is a sin. The root of prejudice is pride. Number two, resistance in prejudice is brought on by tradition and not Scripture. Resistance in prejudice is brought on by tradition and not Scripture. It's not scriptural. I've had to deal in my own life, and I must confess to you, concerning some of my own prejudices, And you know how to deal with those? You go to the Word of God. And I'm here to tell you that if you go to the Word of God, you're going to accept all men like God accepts them. And number three, facing the wrong in prejudice is painful. Facing the wrong in prejudice is painful. I got out of my little uh, notepad the other day and I wrote my little letter to uh, Freddie Gage. And I just kind of outlined all the ways I wanted him to be 
I mean, I had him all fixed up. I mean, you just come here and you just be just like this and we'll accept you just fine. And I got Joanne to type that for me and I got that piece of paper and God started work on me. And I said, well, Joanne, I'm not going to sign that until I've prayed about it a little bit. And I put it on my desk upside down. I didn't want you to read it if you came in my office. I was ashamed of it. And I began to pray over that thing. You know what God said to me? I mean, I, I'm not going to try to tell you that he phoned me up or spoke audibly, but he, he, he did it nonetheless. He said to me, hey, don't you call anything unclean that I've cleansed. He said, hey, you just let that boy be himself like I've recreated him to be. And then I found this little article in Eternity Magazine on acceptance, this statement, I'm through. Acceptance means that you are valuable just as you are. You know what started, you know what started the, uh, the segregation movement down in... Uh, the integration movement down in the South, it wasn't Martin Luther King. It was that sign on those water fountains, no blacks allowed. That's the hardest blow of all. People can't live with that. Acceptance means that you are valuable just as you are. It allows you to be real, to be the real you. You are not forced into someone else's idea of who you are. You can talk about what's on the inside of you and why you feel that way. And you'll know that somebody really cares. Acceptance means you can try out your own ideas without being shot down. Now, not, not, no one's going to, not, it's not that everyone's going to agree with you and, and, and that there'll never be anybody disagree. It doesn't mean that. It means that you're safe to be you and no one will destroy you out of prejudice. That's what acceptance is. Aren't you glad that there was a long-bearded, I suppose he was, that's all the pictures I've ever, a long-haired, bearded man who accepts you just like you are. Let's bow and pray. Heavenly Father, I've even heard some people say of us that we're snobs. Just the rich go to First Baptist, the snobs. And I've even said it of someone else. He doesn't belong where I am. And I've looked with disdain upon others that are not like me, didn't smell like I smell, act like I act, talk like I talk. Oh, Lord, in the grace of your dear Son, sweep away all of the prejudice and help us to take that which you've cleansed and make it a part of us. Thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to use each person, every kind of man, every kind of woman, every kind of child, because we're all just instruments of your grace. Thank you for the acceptance we feel for one another and from thee. 
and help us to reach out our arms wide enough to include all mankind in our embrace. This is my prayer in the name of Christ for his sake. Now we're going to have just a moment of invitation. It's just time for that. All to Jesus I surrender. If you'd like to come make public a decision to unite with our church or to commit your life to Christ and rededication, to come tonight to say, I want to give my heart and life to Christ. I just want to be saved. I want to come to Him just as I am. Whatever God would lead you to do, we'll sing just one stanza. If none should come, we'll be through. You stand with us and Larry will lead us.